You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Good morning, church. My name is Gina Johnson. I volunteer here in the finance department, and I'm also a small group leader for women's Bible study. And it is my privilege to read for you this morning out of Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that what that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to pray in the temple, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks. Hello there. I made the joke in the first service, but you'll have to give me a moment. I'm not used to being in a church with quite so many people. It's a little different where I hail from. Um, I think Josh introduced me, but my name is Robbie Moore. I am the pastor of Capital City Church um, in Austin, Texas. And some of you uh, know this and some of you don't, but we're a church plant of the Village Church. And so the life and ministry, anything that is going on, uh, St. Paul tells us in Philippians 4 that that's fruit that increases to your credit. And so I just want to say thank you. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a pic here of my family. It's coming. All right, there they are. Um, all the like pretty ones other than Piper couldn't make it, so it's just me and Piper today. That's my wife, Kristen. That's our oldest, Abel. He's about to be nine. Uh, that's Piper on the far left. She's seven. She uh, decided this morning she wanted to do Kids Village twice because she had so much fun. Um, yeah, yeah. So the whole ride home, she'll just be da 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 da, um, telling me all the things I should know about the prophets and the Bible um, or whatever they played today. And then that's Evie. She's our littlest. Um, and, and I joked earlier, but the party really doesn't start until she shows up. So um, someday she'll come and, and maybe there'll be enough space for her energy in the building. Um, all all uh, fun aside, I want to just kind of share a few uh, details about Capital City, things that we're praying for and ask you to pray with us, uh, and then things that we're celebrating. Uh, as you could probably imagine, but planting a church in an urban context coming out of COVID has proven to be no easy task. So if those of you knew that, you probably told me and I was just bright-eyed with uh, being naive, but it's been really challenging for me and my family in many, many ways. But one of the things God has been so kind to do for me is to remind me that his love for me has nothing to do with the results of my ministry. Um, and I'm still in that today as I pray over there before I come out. It's just that his love is not dependent upon those things. And what's amazing is, is the more I get that, that tends to be when he works in the lives of people, uh, when I relinquish. And so things that we're, we're celebrating, and I got to laugh at this in the first service, um, but we multiplied from one small group to two this fall. Uh, again, a little different than the village church, but we're so grateful uh, number two, we'll celebrate our first two baptisms in the next two weeks as a church. Um, it's so kind, so kind. 
And then uh, by God's grace, we're seeing the very first fruits this week of someone coming to our church, reading the Bible in community, and beginning to give their life to the Lord. Um, and so, uh, yeah, thank you all. Um, that's, that's him. <laughs> and, and a, a simple servant trying to be faithful along with many others. Uh, ways you could pray for us? Goodness, just continue to pray for my wife and I's own personal renewal. Um, we have the privilege of leading a church and also being pilgrims, trying to follow the Lord, and it's so hard to get to do that some days. And so just that we would experience renewal. Uh, number two is that God would, we call our kids arrows from Psalm 127, just that God would save our arrows. That, that more than anything, we love our church. Gosh, I love Austin as well. But we want our kids to see who Jesus is and what he's come to do. And so please, please pray for that. And then lastly, um, just pray that God would grow our church. And, and I mean that in maturation and in salvation. That we would be deep people who would thrive in the moment in history that we live in and that people would really be drawn into this sort of non-anxious presence that we get to experience through Christ, through the power of the Spirit. So, yeah, just fight you into that. Now, as I, I transition into the text, I, I'm going to transition to a quote by the famous theologian Madonna. Um, as I do that, if you're here today and you're a Christian, you're a non-Christian, I want you to know, particularly non-Christians, I'm not making fun of Madonna when I use this quote. I actually think she's incredibly honest and insightful. I actually think she's brave enough to say what all of us feel. We just generally may don't have the insight or get the opportunity, but this is what she says. She says, my drive in life comes from the fear of being mediocre. That's always pushing me. I push past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I'm, I feel I'm still mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I've become somebody, I still have to prove I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended, and I guess it never will. And she goes on to say in the interview with Vogue, she said, in a way, that's what makes Madonna, Madonna. Now, again, just to be clear, I think she's being incredibly self-aware, incredibly humble, and incredibly intuitive. I think what she is saying is, note, I feel mediocre, to give you some other language. I feel contempt, and I just don't know how to deal with that. I feel this sense of guilt and shame as if I'm not good enough, and yet I think we'd agree she's been pretty successful. That even though she's reached accolades that I know I'll never reach personally, she still carries around this malaise that I would say I feel and I bet you feel that something in her is broken, and if she just performs enough, she'll feel better. But notice, it's not just brokenness that she wants, it's also affirmation. She wants the praise. She wants someone to look at her and say, I see that brokenness, and I love you anyways. Now, amazingly, 2,000 years ago, Jesus actually addresses this inner contempt. See, the Bible doesn't have a point in history where it's not relevant, it just, matters, it just comes down to us examining it in the way that God has written it. And what we see today in this particular parable is Jesus shows us that to deal with that inner contempt, to actually address it, to be absolved of it, it will not be rid of you if you're self-righteous or you're self-loathing. 
It only goes away if you're self-forgetful. Neither self-righteous nor self-loathing will actually absolve us of our inner self-contempt. But amazingly, Jesus says, self-forgetfulness can. Not just manage it, not just push it down, not just put it on somebody else, but actually begin to deal with it and to have it go away. So we have three points. Point one is our problem. Point two is our solution. And then point three is our reward. So let's start with the problem, or our problem, I should say. So Jesus, uh, in his ministry, if you haven't noticed by now, he has the entourage he never wanted. The Pharisees, they just kind of follow him around. And as they follow him around, they're always trying to catch him and to challenge him, uh, the righteous one, as being unrighteous. And so he looks at them, draws them in, and tells them this parable because the Pharisees here know what it says. It says they trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they looked down on everyone else or they threw contempt on everybody else. See, I I think, again, our, our prophet Madonna, our prophetess Madonna had insight here. I think she was making plain what these Pharisees are experiencing. And I would contend all of us do. Is that there is something inside of us that tells us you have to make yourself right. You have to make yourself in good standing. You're carrying around this burden, this sense of, some of you would say shame, some of you say guilt. Maybe you're, you're not a believer and you're with us this morning. For you, it might just be that, you know, you're, you're in your mid-30s, you just got the career of a lifetime, but six months in, you, you don't like it anymore because it didn't deliver in the way that you promised. Maybe you yelled at your kid last night. Maybe you're single and you're getting close to 40 and you're just, you're frustrated and you're starting to look at yourself in the mirror and say, it must be me that's the problem. See, the the difficulty is, is that inwardly, we often see some part of ourself we just can't get to that makes us feel like we don't measure up. It's a problem. And there's two ways that I think you can begin to deal with this, begin to make this inner contempt go away. And the first is, you can be self-righteous. So here's what this Pharisee is doing in the parable. It says these two people went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee was standing and praying alone. See, when you feel inner contempt and you start to use self-righteousness, the first thing that you'll begin to do is you'll begin to find people that you feel better than. You'll look at people, maybe outwardly their life isn't put together as you, uh, maybe you're a little bit more successful in your family, and you begin to posture yourself in a way, even physically, as if you're better than them. It's, it's amazing to think that this happened in church, and for you church people, you're like, well, it's really not that amazing. People judge people all the time. I know. But think about going into the temple and going before the the mercy seat, the altar of God, where God dwelt, where no one should boast. Commentators would say, this guy walked all the way to the front, separated himself from all the sinners and knelt down and said, this is where I belong. See, if you're self-righteous, you can't maintain a sense of confidence if you don't push people down. You can't do it. Because in order for you to feel good about yourself, there has to be people who are worse off than you. And so you you get into community and all you're doing is you're actually using people to deal with your own anxieties. You feel bad about yourself. I feel bad about myself. And so we look at people and say, I feel bad, but gosh, I feel better than that person. 
And so what do we do? We, we use people to feel better about this inner contempt by heaping it out on others. That's what takes place. Number two, what we see, what this, this Pharisee does is a, is a self-righteous person, is it says in the text, this is so fascinating, but let's be honest here, we do it too. He prays about himself. Think about the arrogance or lack of self-awareness, I guess. One has to have to pray to God about oneself. But how many of us have done it? Where we're telling God all the things we want or we're talking about how good we've done. This person is so self-absorbed that essentially he tells God how good of a deal God got with him. (laughs) Essentially, what, what this person is doing is they're using the worship gathering to just use God again to feel better about themselves. Here's the deal. A Pharisee or someone who deals with being self-righteous, we will see God as useful, but we will not see God as beautiful because we're so self-absorbed with how beautiful we look. That's what this man does. Then, note this, he doesn't even think about the inner self. All it says is he looks at the greedy, the unrighteous, the adulterers, even this tax collector, not saying that those people in some way are not committing sin, but all he looks at is the outward appearance. He doesn't even give thought to, well, who are they on the inside? Maybe they're really great people and they just have had a hard life. No, no, no. All he sees is outward behavior. That the outward behavior, that's what makes you good. That what you do, that's what makes God like you. He's not aware that outwardly everything could be fine, but inwardly you could be abundantly lost. And then last thing, if you notice, he says, I tithe everything I get and I fast twice a week. I just want you to know, there's nowhere in the Old Testament that says you should fast twice a week. You see what he's doing? He's adding to the Bible and then he's judging people for it. He's taking his pet peeve, his conviction, and he's like, and they're not even like me. I'm just, I'm more righteous than the law. See, that's how blind we can be when we're self-righteous. But I want you to remember something. This self-righteousness, I don't think just flows out of you. It flows from a heart that feels deeply like something's wrong. Listen, self-righteous folks, and I'm with you, we act really strong, but on the inside, we're insecure and we're freaking out. Because we know if somebody got close enough and they really saw who we are, they'd find out that we're not that cool or impressive they would realize outwardly what we already know inwardly is that we can't measure up. Now, before we move on to self-loathing, I know, number one, I know it would be easy to look at this guy and go, that man is a hypocrite. I've seen people like that in our church, right? It'd be easy to do that, but I want to be clear. A hypocrite is somebody who says something and then doesn't do it. This guy says it and does it. He is an incredibly good person. I want to be abundantly clear. He is an incredibly good person. Shows up, ties, serves, faithful, checks all the boxes. And yet we're going to see is as lost as a goose. Now, why is that in there? Because Jesus is trying to show us that even good people won't inherit the kingdom of God that being a good person will make you an incredible gift to society, 
But it does not mean you inherit the kingdom of God. That at the core of a good person is this sort of deep-seated belief that I have a problem, but I can fix it. That if, if God would just, in a sense, leave me alone, I can take care of it. All I need is his stuff, and I'll handle my problems on my own. Number two, I think some of us, we see this Pharisee, and you think to yourself, I don't, I don't deal with that at church. I don't even deal with that in small group. Okay, well, I want you to remember something. They went to the place that they worshiped. I'm willing to bet if I found the place where you worshiped, this would come out of you. Here's what I mean. This one's not fair because it's the suburbs. This is always the example. If I went to where your kids played sports, I bet I'd see this come out of you. If I went to your work, I bet I'd see this come out of you. If I went into your relationships, it just comes down to what do you look at to make you feel better about yourself? Wherever that place is, I bet you'll see this sort of self-righteousness come out of you. If you're at work and you're in a meeting and your boss says, hey, how's your team performing? You suddenly have one of two options. Do you cover for the person not pulling their weight or do you let them have it? It draws out a part of you that feels this sort of I'm not enough and you know if I step on somebody, I'll look a little bit better. And then lastly, before we move on, I think it's important to remember that it's not only that this man feels bad, but that it's he also deeply wants to be loved. Listen, strong people in the room, people who geared, uh, lean towards self-righteousness, it's not just that you want the inner guilt to go away, it's that you want someone to love you. You didn't just wander into treating people that way, it's that at some point in life, you saw failure come out and love not go back in. Now, as we, we pivot and we're about to move on, I want to remind us something, though. Not only will self-righteousness not deal with this, I want to be abundantly clear, self-loathing won't do it either. Okay, I need to be really clear. The tax collector we're about to look at, who, who quote-unquote here is a bad person, he's not self-loathing. His prayers aren't about him. His prayers aren't about how worthless he is or that he's a worm or God shouldn't love him and all those things. No, no, no. His prayers are to God about God. So you need to understand self-loathing in a sense is just as prideful as self-righteousness because you still think you can pay enough to finally feel better about the mistakes that you've made. Friends, I, I, to be plain, this is something I deal with all the time, all the time that when someone gives me something that I don't deserve or I have to take ownership of a way that I failed, oftentimes the feedback to me will be, Robbie, this is a two out of 10 and you're acting like it's a 10 out of 10. It's taken years for me to begin to realize for myself that I'm trying to pay down the debt. That if I just pay enough, well, finally maybe this person will be kinder to me. But at the core of the self-loathing, just like the self-righteous, is this belief that I could finally just use the system God made to feel better about myself. I'm so inward focusing. I don't see the beauty of God in Christ. I don't see his grace to me. I see my need to prove myself and perform. 
I'm going to tell you, the, the self-loathing friends, that is not the way to receive the grace and the mercy of God. Outwardly, it might look far more humble, but inwardly, we're just as full of pride. We're trying to add on to the work of Jesus, and he doesn't need that. Now, that's our problem. Let's pivot to our solution, which is self-forgetfulness. This is verse 13. It says, but the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Well, first, I want you to look at his posture. It says, standing far off. So in the scene, the tax collector was front and center at the altar. The tax collector's all the way at the back. As far away as possible, there's this sort of self-awareness to the tax collector. Second thing I want you to see, if we're juxtaposing the people Jesus was first talking to, this tax collector does not believe in and of himself he can be righteous. He doesn't. See, the the first step to being self-forgetful is, friends, you have to acknowledge you can't fix yourself. If you think you can fix yourself, we are going to be so self-absorbed and inward-focused and just looking down all the time. How am I doing? How do they receive that? What do I need to say? Should I send a follow-up email? You're going to constantly be running yourself ragged. But if you realize you can't fix the problem, you'll start forgetting yourself and surely begin to ask, well, then who's going to fix it? If you'll acknowledge that you can't do it, the next part of this little analogy gets abundantly clear. If I can't do it, somebody else has to. Now, number two, before we get on to who fixes it, I want you to look at this man's posture. He stands far off. He won't raise his eyes to heaven. He's beating his chest. And and technically, and this is a very pretentious thing to do, the Greek there says the sinner, not a sinner. Note his posture. He won't even raise his eyes to heaven. Now, some of you in the room that have had bad experiences with leadership, this is not shame, okay? If you've ever, and I have three kids, so I have to do this a lot. I'm like, don't look directly into the sun. Don't do that, (laughs) right? It'll blind you. It's really bad for your eyes, and yet they still do it. See, this is what happens when you see a holy, beautiful, loving, just God, is you're like, I can't even look at you. You're so different than me in every way. That as I read the Bible, I see people that move into your presence, they fall face down because God, you're holy and you're not like me. You're other than. And so he's not looking down because God is like, that's right, look at the floor. He's looking down because what he's saying is, God, I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve it. And I love this. He's striking his chest. When he says, the sinner, he's saying, God, I don't deserve it. He's saying, I can't earn it, and I don't deserve it. See, um, I was reading um, another sermon this week about this, and it said, when the man says, the sinner, he's not saying there's nobody else in the room. He's not saying nobody else has ever sinned in the history of the world. What he's saying is, this man is so in tune that he needs the grace of God, it's as if nobody else in the room matters. He's so aware, God, they may need forgiveness, but goodness, I need it right now. 
that essentially the, the second piece of self-forgetfulness, not only is we can't fix ourselves, but number two, we don't deserve God to fix us and we can't earn it. That in and of ourself, we could never meet the standards that God asks of us and commands of us. And yet, shockingly, look what the man says. He says, God, have mercy on me. That somehow, as he's looking at God, he is humbled to the floor and yet so confident to pray a prayer like that. That beholding God, he could be aware of, I can't save myself and yet you want to save me. It produces this deep humility. Uh, the word humility here means filling. So it covers our guilt and shame, and yet it fills us with love inwardly. That, that beholding God, not even looking at him, just reflecting on what he has done, somehow it absolves us of guilt and fills us with a love that never goes away. And so what does he say? He says, God, have mercy on me. Now, the word mercy in the New Testament has a lot of meanings, but amazingly, this word mercy, I can't pronounce it. If Mason were here, I'd ask him to. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a Greek word. That's about all I know. But the word mercy here is actually the same word used for the altar where blood was sacrificed for the atonement of sin. This man isn't just saying, God, would you be kind to me? He's not saying, God, would, would you just show me mercy? He's saying, God, would you shed blood to cover me? He's saying, God, I know who I am inwardly. I can own it. I can't save myself and I don't deserve you to save me. But would you shed blood that would rid me of this guilt and would show me just how much you love me so that I could walk away confident and no longer running myself ragged. Now, amazingly, and this gets us close to the very end, amazingly, look at the reward of this man. Jesus says, I tell you, this one, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now remember, this text is trying to show us something, that number one, good people still need to be saved. But number two, it's showing us quote unquote bad people can always be forgiven. See, there's this idea, I think, that God is looking for a certain type of person, and he's not. God is working to and fro over the earth looking for any person he could exalt, any person that he could save, any person he could extend his mercy to when they're people who in humility would say, God, I need you. I don't deserve it. I've made a mess of my life, whether I'm a quote unquote good or bad person, but God, you can save me. You can fix me. You can fill me. You can free me to walk in newness of life. You can do it. And Jesus says the man went home justified. He went home atoned. Now, two thoughts and, and then we're done. Number one, how do we begin to notice our own sort of self-righteousness or self-loathing? How do we begin to notice it? 
And then number two is where do we get the power to actually be self-forgetful? Okay, how do we notice it? I think number one, you're gonna have to figure out where do you worship? Where do you worship? For some of you today, you're like, church, I just figured that out. That's where I worship. For others of you, you're gonna have to pay attention to your heart. Where do you get triggered to use a word? Where do you suddenly get provoked? What are the environments or the situations where suddenly you either wanna just beat yourself up or you want to step on someone to look better than them? You're gonna have to be mindful of that. Number two, you're gonna have to start making it a habit when you feel that to first and foremost stop as this tax collector did and just acknowledge before God, God, I can't save myself. I can't fix this problem. I can't change how this person thinks of me. I can't change the action that I just committed. God, I can't solve it. And then two, you're gonna have to begin to say, and God, honestly, apart from Christ, I don't deserve you to fix it. But God, would you atone for my sin? Now, some of you, maybe you're not a believer. That, that might be the first time you ever pray it. But for a believer in the room, really what you're saying is, is you're saying, Spirit of God, would you make the work of Jesus real to me? Would you take this truth that I know in my head and would you bring it home in my heart? Because right now, this failure in front of me feels more real than the work of Christ. Would you make it real to me? Would you do that? See, if, if you will commit to being mindful where you worship, practicing this, you'll begin to be a self-forgetful person and here's where you get the power to do it. Friends, the power comes from the person that we're looking at. See, the real gift of self-forgetfulness is not that you just are free to look at the people around you, though that's great. It's you're free to look at the one who saved you. See, Philippians 2 tells us Friends, note this. Look, look at the language, the parallel. Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus emptied himself. He poured himself out by becoming a servant and humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. That at the cross, Jesus took your inner guilt and had it poured out on him and he took the wrath of God in your place so that the love he poured out of himself could be poured into you. And then it says, what happened? He's resurrected and he is exalted to a name that is above every other name. Friends, the gift of self-forgetfulness is that you get to look at the one who with gladness died for you. So you can grow in humility and be filled because he's the key to not performing any longer. But you get to look at the one who was resurrected for you. So the love of God is never going away. It comes all the way in the very, very first time and it never leaves. That resurrection tells you where you're headed in life. That when you forget yourself and you wonder, but who's gonna think of me? Friends, God is gonna think of you. That that God tells us in Psalm eight, you wanna know what fills the mind of God? You. You can trust that the work he's called you to is self-forgetfulness doesn't end with you being forgotten. It ends with you remembering that God has always had his eye on you. And he always will till he comes for you again. That love will fill you. And we'll go out like this man did, I'm sure, rejoicing that we're justified. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you love to save sinners like us. Thank you that there is no type of person that can save ourselves. 
But God, thank you there is no type of person that could out your grace. That you simply love to look on those in need and extend grace and love and mercy to them. And so, Father, just on behalf of everybody in this room, God, would you have mercy on us, the sinner? Spirit, apply the work of Jesus to us yet again. Lead us to worship and to sing of this beautiful cornerstone. It's in his name we pray. Amen.